Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 18, how Abraham had the goal of seeing God spare Sodom and spare the Sodomites from destruction, as well as believers not to be destroyed in their entanglement with the wicked. Now, this message is available at friendshipwithgod.org and also at itunes.com, all for free, friendshipwithgod.org and on itunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, to continue this Bible teaching radio program, this Old Testament teaching radio program, we need your support. You can support us by donating online at friendshipwithgod.org. Again, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also call us now or after the program with your donation of support, whether it's a one-time or a monthly donation, 800-247-3051. We can set you up for that and take your support for this radio program to continue on this station in this city, 800 247-3051, 800-247-3051. Call us now or after the program. Here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis chapter 18, how Abraham had the goal of seeing God spare Sodom and Gomorrah and the Sodomites from destruction, as well as the believers not to be destroyed by their entanglement with the wicked. So here we see Abraham asking God to spare the place. If Abraham only had in mind to save Lot, then Abraham would have prayed for God to take Lot out of the place. And I don't care what you do with the place, to destroy it then. That's not Abraham. But we see Abraham here not praying to just take Lot out of Sodom and then God, you just go ahead and destroy Sodom, they irritate me anyway. He's not praying that way. Abraham is not saying to God, take righteous Lot out of the city and then I don't care what you do with Sodom, you can destroy it. You can just destroy it because I don't care. That's not his attitude. That's not Abraham's goal. That's not what he means when he says spare the city. So those three words that Abraham used here, spare the place, are very important in verse 22. Because when Abraham is asking God to spare the place, he's saying to God, Oh God, spare Sodom. Oh God, don't destroy Sodom. Oh God, give Sodom more time to repent. I care for Sodom. I don't want to see Sodom happen to be described in Revelation 19.20 where it says that God cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So Abraham's words in verse 24 of spare the place. He's saying to God, oh God, I know the sin of Sodom is great, but I can't stand the thought of anyone being cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone, Revelation 19.20. So with Abraham's words of spare the place, that gives to us the guidance that we should have the same Abrahamic concern for lost sinners who are heading to be cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So Abraham sees clearly that the sodomite homosexual sinners were heading for being cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And he knew they weren't going to be annihilated or or burned up to non-existence, but they're going to be forever existing in this lake of fire for eternity. And that thought was too much for Abraham. And so he's crying out to God, spare the place. And Abraham couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand the thought of anyone no matter how sinful they are, being cast into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So Abraham has this goal. 
of seeing God spare Sodom and spare the Sodomites, and he's asking God, spare the place. He's not willing for any Sodomite to perish, but that every Sodomite should come to repentance, as it says in 2 Peter 3, 9. He's asking God to spare the place. He would have all men, Abraham would have all men, every Sodomite to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, as it says in 1 Timothy 2, 4. So we see Abraham saying to God, spare the place. It's a rebuke to our spirit when we become like the disciples who said, well, you know, they reject. Shall we call down from heaven fire and destroy them like, like Elijah? Yeah, let's do that. That sounds good. <laughs> That's a rebuke to us. It's a rebuke to us when we say, I hope God destroys those sodomite homosexuals. That's a rebuke because Abraham had the attitude and so should we. I want God to spare the homosexuals. I want God to save the homosexuals. I want the homosexuals to recover themselves out of the snare that they've been taken captive by the devil through repentance. I want them to do that. So he's praying this way. That's a pattern for us. Now, in verse 23, we've seen that the G in Abraham's GPA, that's his goal. His goal is twofold. For believers or the righteous not to be destroyed in their entanglement with the wicked and for the wicked, to be saved or spared from destruction. Now, the question is, what's his P? How is Abraham going to achieve this with God? What's his plan? What's his strategy? So, we see this as a broad question. And so, he starts off with the broad question. So, Abraham gives broad, general question. Lord, wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? And he's come up with this question, which should be a no-brainer for God. <laughs> you know, because Abraham has personally experienced how God saved him from being destroyed over and over again, as we've seen. And he's concluded that God is in the business of preserving the righteous, as it says in Jude one twenty four, unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So that verse talks about the ability of God to keep and preserve from destruction unto him that is able to keep and to present. And so how he will present in a state of not being destroyed and alive is, is what is described in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. He speaks about this in John 10, 29, when he talks about this word, when he talks about this word pluck, he said, no, my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And that word is very graphic because it's the picture of something happening quickly and unexpectedly and a plucking out. And he said, that won't happen. I'm so careful to watch. In John 10, 11, he spoke himself as the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And that he was saying, if it meant it, he'd die for the sheep to uh, keep them alive, which he did. And so Abraham knows that God is all about life. He's all about life. And he knows that God loves life. And so Abraham knows that scene very well in his mind in Genesis 2-7 where the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and then breathed, God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. That's what God loves to do. Abraham knows that and he uses this fact and he poses this question that the righteous should not be swept up in destruction with the wicked. And so as Abraham is thinking, if I can get God to agree with me on this point, then I can move on to verse 24, which he does. And he starts off with this peradventure, 
Let's suppose. See, he's angling. I hate it when my wife does this to me. <laughs> she does this all the time. Oh, so you suppose that. So anyway, my wife's like Abraham. So anyway, so Abraham, he's heading toward trying to get God to spare the place. He uses this argument. He starts with the fifth. Let's suppose there are 50 righteous. Can I get God to agree with me on this point? So he put, throws this out to God, 50, okay. And then he's driving the point, and he repeats the question to God, as we see there. And he's starting with the general principle, you know, wilt thou destroy the righteous of the wicked? And then he narrows it down to this 50 supposition. And now he's going to go for this numbers argument. He's going to work God with the numbers. And he can imagine Abraham devising his argument of where he might have thought something like, Let's say, let me see, can I say that the whole city is righteous and there's a few wicked? Now, that won't work because, you know, this bad report has come to heaven. It's a wicked reputation. Okay, so he chooses the largest number you think he can come up with, maybe 50, and then he advances a little further. Now, we can't look at verse 23 without asking a very obvious question because in verse 23, we see for the first time in the Bible two groups of people never seen well, one we're really kind of shocked to see, read about is this group of people called the righteous. The righteous and the wicked. So we have this group it's here, the group of the wicked. You know, is it, now, we don't have trouble understanding the group called the wicked because, you know, that describes every person. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's a general statement about the heart of man. Who can know it? So the real question is, who's this righteous Who are the righteous that God is talking about here? Does Abraham consider himself righteous? I mean, remember Abraham. This is the man who lied. This is the man who got Sarah to lie, that she was his wife. So can a liar be a righteous person? I mean, remember Abraham. This is the man who has the baby with the woman that's not his wife. Can an adulterer be a righteous person? We know Abraham in verse 24, he's referring to Lot. And when he calls this, in verse 24, the righteous within the city. And so it's interesting, in 2 Peter 2.8, it talks about Lot, and it says about him, for that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. All right. So two times in that verse, in 2 Peter 2.8, Lot is referred to as righteous. He's called a righteous man with a righteous soul. That's in 2 Peter 2.8. But we're on the brink of the next chapter. So we'll cheat and go forward one page. And take a look at this righteous man with the righteous soul in Genesis 19, 7 and 8. Now, it says, Lot is speaking. And Lot says and said, I pray you, brethren... Brethren, calls these people brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do you to them as is good in your sight. So this is the righteous man with the righteous soul who is offering his two virgin daughters to be gang raped. So this is a very, very disturbing sight here of the man that the Bible calls righteous. So, you know, once a woman came to Spurgeon and said, you know, when God said in Romans 9, 13, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And then she said, Mr. Spurgeon, I don't understand how God could say Esau have I hated. And Spurgeon replied to the lady and said, ma'am, I don't have a problem understanding how God could say Esau have I hated. 
My problem is understanding how he could say, Jacob have I loved. (laughs) Now, how could a man like Abraham, who lied and committed adultery, be called a righteous man? How could a man, Lot, who's offering up his virgin daughters to be gang raped, be called a righteous man? Who's Abraham talking about when he's referring to this group called the righteous? Liars, adulterers, fathers who offer their daughters up to be terribly assaulted. Who are these righteous that he's speaking about? And what makes a person righteous? Now this question brings out the power of the offer that God made in Isaiah 118 when he says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow, they'll be red like crimson, they'll be as wool. Who was that offer made to in Isaiah 118? That offer was made to the Jewish people who just 14 verses before that are described in Isaiah 1-4 as a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, forsaken the Lord, provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger, gone away backward. That's the Jewish nation that's described by God as a sinful nation. That's the Jewish people that are described by God as a people weighed down with iniquity. That's the Jewish people with the heritage described as a seed of evildoers. That's the children of Israel described by God as children that are corruptors. That's the Jewish people that God stretches out his arms to in Isaiah 118 and said, Come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. That's the same Jewish people that the Lord Jesus Christ stretched out his arms to and said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So when any Jewish person does not come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and God looks at them like Balaam, when any Jewish person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved, then God sees a different picture. So how could Abraham, how could Lot, how could believers be called righteous? You know, it says in Isaiah 53, 11, that because of the travail of the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ, God says that that's my righteous servant justifying many. So God says it's the work of justification. And he says in the next chapter over in Isaiah 54, 17, that when this happens, no weapon formed against them will prosper. And then he says, their righteousness is from me, saith the Lord. He says, you want to talk about their righteousness? God says, you got to talk to me about that. And then in Jeremiah 23, 6, it speaks about them being called, the Lord is our righteousness. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, 30, it speaks about, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us, among other things, righteousness. And in James 2.23, it says, The scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed, interesting word, imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Now, Abraham has already, as we just heard from James 2.23, has been called righteous. And the first time Abraham was called righteous was a few chapters before in Genesis 15, 6. You might want to turn to that. Genesis 15, 6. So turn backwards now. Because Abraham is now referred to this group that he's praying for as the righteous. And this verse is described Abraham as righteous. And it says, And he believed in the Lord, 
and he counted it to him for righteousness. He counted it to him for righteousness. That's a very interesting Hebrew word, counted. It's the word chashav, counted. It's an interesting word because it describes what God did to Abraham. It describes what happened to Abraham when he was counted righteous when he believed God. The word chashav brings out how God can look at a person like Abraham, look at a person like Lot, look at believers, Jews and Gentiles, and call them righteous. Because of all the places in Scripture where we really get the understanding of what this Hebrew word chashav means is in the production of the tabernacle. Because it's used 15 times to describe some aspects in the production of the tabernacle. And even though it's translated with several different English words, the word chashav is appearing over and over again 15 times to describe the work of two men, Bezalel and Aholiab. So these two men and the work that they're doing is described as the work of chashav. And when they, in particular, when those two men worked as embroiderers, making the curtains and the ephod, that the priests wore, that says it like this in many places, but here's one example in Exodus 35, 35. Them hath he filled with the wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and of the cunning workman, that's a chashav, and of the embroiderer in blue and in purple and in scarlet and in fine linen and of the weaver even of them that do any work, and of those that devise cunning work, chashav, again. So chashav describes the work of Bezalel and Aholiab as they work as embroiderers and weavers. And we see, and picture in our mind, we see Bezalel and Aholiab, they got a pile of blue threads, and they got a pile of purple threads, and they got a pile of scarlet threads, and they're taking these threads, and they're embroidering over fabric, you know, to make the cherubims and the curtains. And so we see that when they're embroidering with these colored uh, threads, they're covering the fabric. And so with those colored threads, they have become so stitched into the fabric that when they're finished with their intricate work of embroidering, you can't separate the fabric from the colored threads that have been embroidered into the fabric. Those colored threads and the fabric are now one. And that's the work of chashav. It means to embroider, or describes the work of the embroiderer. And then we see Bezalel and Aholiab reaching again into those piles of the blue threads and the purple threads and the scarlet threads, and they're taking those threads and they're intricately weaving them in order to, in order to weave them into the fabric. So they're weaving in and out. And so those colored threads have become now a part of the fabric. And when they're finished with their intricate weaving, you can't separate the colored threads from what they've woven into the fabric because they're all now one. That's the work, uh, Hashab. That describes the work of Bezalel and Aholiab as they embroider, as they weave colored threads into the fabric to make them all one with the fabric. It's the work of Hashab. And it amazes us to see this word in Genesis 15.6. Now look at Genesis 15.6, because it says here, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him, chashav, for righteousness. So in this verse describes two actions, an action of Abraham and an action of God. The action of Abraham is believed. 
The word used there is the most widely known Hebrew word in all the world. It's the word amen, amen. So Abraham amened to God. In other words, he said, I believe God. I trust God. And that's what Abraham did. And that's what we do as believers. We come to God. We trust in God's sacrifice in the Lord Jesus Christ to pay all the price for our sins. And we believe God when he said that he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We say amen. That means we believe. And when Abraham believed God, he said amen. Now, that's our action. That was Abraham's action. Believe God. Then we see God's action in the rest of the verse. He counted it, hashav, to him for righteousness. So God hashaved it to Abraham for righteousness. And so by using this word hashav for counted, we see the picture in our mind of Bezalel and Aholiab, and we see God like Bezalel and Aholiab. We see God, the great embroiderer, and we see ourselves as the fabric, and God is weaving these colored threads into us, the threads of blue that speak of the heavenliness of origin of the Lord Jesus Christ, the purple that speaks of him as the king, the scarlet which speaks of his sacrifice, and God's the great weaver, and we see ourselves as the fabric, and we're going to have all these colored threads woven into us, and we, like Abraham, are the fabric, God is the great embroiderer weaver, and so when we look at Genesis 15, 6, now look again, We look at that like this, Genesis 15, 6. And Abraham believed God, and God embroidered, chashav, unto Abraham righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and God wove, chashav, into Abraham righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and God, the great weaver, reached for the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and wove that righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ into the fabric of Abraham, the fabric of our lives, so that you cannot separate now the righteousness of Christ from the fabric, from Abraham. That's the meaning of the word made in the New Testament, where it says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who from God is made unto us righteousness. He chashabed, wove, made us unto us righteousness. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.21 for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, hashabd, the righteousness of God in him. Now, when it says that Christ has made unto us righteousness, when it says that we're made the righteousness of God, that's the picture. God the embroider, God the weaver, doing his work, weaving into our lives. Like Johnny, I told you about Johnny, the Yugoslavian tailor, who made pants for me. You know, I have to, sometimes I have to get special clothes made because I don't bulge out in the same place as everybody else does. Anyway, so Johnny, he works on the sewing machine and he concentrates. And when Johnny the Yugoslavian is concentrating, you know, you can't talk to him. He crouches down in his chair and he bends over his work, his head's down and he's guiding and watching every needle that goes into the fabric. And he, he works, you know, the world around him ceases to exist. He's tuned out because he's totally immersed in his work. And when he's finished, he can't leave his tailor shop. He makes you put the pants on. And then when he's finished, I told you, Johnny gets so happy, he cries out, I work magic! <laughs> That's what he says. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he does. And when God is finished as the great weaver, what does he do? He looks, he sees his work. Like Johnny, I don't think he sees me, he sees his pants. But anyway, he sees his work, and he says, you know, God says, yes, I call them like Abraham did, the righteous. And when God doesn't see the sins of Abraham, he doesn't see the sins of Lot, he doesn't see the sins of believers, he only sees the beautiful threads that he's woven 
of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ into the believers. And that's how Abraham and God could refer to a group of believers and say, the righteous. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. You can find all of Tom Cantor's materials available online at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. Just click on the resources tab. There you'll find Tom Cantor's materials available, many of them for free download and others for purchase with our online bookstore. You can also sign up while you're there at friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It'll come to your phone or your email, just a short verse and a short commentary. It's great. You'll enjoy it. Sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also sign up to give a free gospel gift to your lost Jewish friend. We'll send it to them directly or to you to give to them. You can do that again at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, we also need your financial support to be able to send these free gifts to lost Jewish people and to also get the gospel out to lost Jewish people. In fact, our Summer Blitz campaign is going on right now where we're getting the gospel out to Jewish communities, Orthodox, Hasidic, and even Reformed communities that are hearing the gospel by our Israel Restoration Ministries missionaries that are being sent out with Tom Cantor's gospel materials. And we need your support to continue getting the gospel out to lost Jewish people through this radio program and through an evangelical message through our missionaries at Israel Restoration Ministries. We need your support to continue this radio program and the gospel message going out. So donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Again, friendshipwithgod.org. Or you can call us directly with your support one time or even a monthly support to get the gospel out to the Jewish people and continue this radio Bible teaching program. 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051 or friendshipwithgod.org.